you've ended up at The Fabric Podcast. Whether you feel like you've got some capacity to offer help to others, are finding yourself in need of some help, or really don't think you're that kind of person who needs help, we've got to start a conversation about help. Welcome to those of you listening on the podcast. So I'm Melissa Locke. So we've been taking these three weeks to talk about help. And the first week we we said admitting that we all need help um, and that we all need to give help is important to do. And the sooner we can admit that, the better. And then last week uh, we looked at, so what kind of help is actually helpful? Because let's be honest, it's not all helpful, right? I mean, there's that that advice hidden in a question, like one of my favorites, have you tried yoga? You know, or, um, or when, you know, people just give you a cliche of some kind or clearly just don't see you and you kind of leave feeling like, I think our relationship just got a little more distant instead of closer, even though they were trying to help or I was trying to ask for help. It felt a little forced or I maybe felt a little patronized or, or mothered. Our group was talking about that. Is there like a matronizing, like a patronizing and a matronizing? Like, I don't know. Anyway, um, it doesn't feel good, right? And we also were invited to think about what kind of help is helpful and how that feels. I think we've all been on both sides of both of these things. And, and this week, I wanna, we're going to land on this kind of help that is helpful and consider an audacious claim that this kind of help never runs out. And I got to be honest that when I um, was sitting with like the preparations last week and I looked at the title again, I thought, well, that makes me crabby. Help never runs out because I don't feel that right now. Like what I feel right now is that help does run out. I've got so many plates spinning and I've got friends that are like, they've done all the things and they're still not getting relief um, for things that they are struggling with. And there are people that, you know, I know could help me, but they've got all their own stuff going on and I don't want to burden them. Like, maybe I should actually be helping them, so now I even feel worse. So it just starts to, like, feel like help is scarce. And that's where I want to explore with us today. Um, this idea that if having enough help is about how you and I want things to be, then, you know, we might be in trouble. If we want it to be where there's no pain or sickness or struggle, if we want to be, like, invulnerable to everything and never feel our own limits at all, if we want our relationships to just always be smooth sailing and never, you know, end, if we want our bodies to never fail us one bit, um, if having enough help has to mean that, then there really isn't enough help to go around. But there will be enough help if we change how we're thinking about this. When it becomes about how you and I show up to give and receive help, that's when we find out it might never run out. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to let a very obscure ancient 2,000-year-old Jewish text that's about architecture help us out, so that'll be interesting. Um, but first, last week, Chris Lillehei asked us to think back on those times when giving and receiving help was helpful, and um, I want to 
come back to that and, and maybe collect some of those ideas again to get that in our, our heads. There's going to be a question that comes up or a chance to enter words. So these are words that would describe um, what help that is helpful feels like. All right, here we go. So you can enter, enter your words. If you see a word that you relate to, you can repeat it and it'll get bigger. Or you could add a new word, empowering, supported, healing, caring, refreshing, connection, calm, acknowledged. Lighter, held, calm, ease, unjudgmental, seen and heard, loved, <laughs> gratitude, cared for, inspired, appreciated. Relief and relieved are getting bigger. Grateful, supported, seen. You guys are good. I love it. All right. Thank you. That looks pretty good. Raise your hand if you would like that kind of help. It's unanimous, I'm pretty sure. All right. So um, as, as we were preparing for this conversation, I ran into a, a video first and then an op-ed by a rabbi in Los Angeles. Her name is Sharon Browse. Side note, if you think we're the only, you know, like we're kind of alone out there in the, in the world of believing that a community like this around spirituality and, and thinking of our lives in this big and holistic way, um, while at the same time being really honest and facing the music that most people out there today um, have disassociated from anything like organized religion, we're not alone in holding both of those things at the same time. In fact, when I looked up Rabbi Browse and her community called Ikar, I, I had to look through their website a little bit. So this is from their about page, and I just got to read this. Some of you are going to chuckle if you've been part of our website conversations. Are you a synagogue or what? Yes and no, kind of. Words like synagogue can feel constraining, and we want to think expansively about what Jewish life can be. So we think of ourselves as a spiritual community, and we let the experience define itself. Does that sound kind of fabricy? <laughs> so this is, this is Rabbi Bross's community in L.A., when I heard her speaking and when I read this, this op-ed in the New York Times, it really took my breath away. And I've been sharing some of it here and there with, with people, and it seems to do the same for others. So I'm excited to explore this idea with you and what it could mean for us today about help and how it works in our lives and in our community. So she shares this description of a ritual pilgrimage practice, um, and it's buried in like a 2,000-year-old text that most people will never read. She kind of found it by accident. And there was this, this description of a scene in there that, that she thought, there's something here, but I have no idea what it is. And, and then a couple decades later, a bunch of stuff later, she ran into it again and she said, ah, ah, I'm starting to see something. And, and this, this, this text has become her unlikely teacher over a couple decades now. And especially, she says, in the last few months. 
Um, I've caught some snippets of some sermons that Rabbi Brous has given in the weeks following the attacks on October 7th. And um, for me, her insistence as an influential rabbi and public figure, and now as an author of a new book that is coming out, um, I think there's a picture of her and this book. So she's pretty out there, but she refuses to dehumanize anyone. So she paints uh, a scene, and I want to paint it for you now, of um, this text was about how the grounds would be laid out in, around the temple, how it was supposed to be built. And you can see, like, this is what it looks like, and then cubits, and talks about the north and the south. I mean, it sounds really relevant, right? <laughs> but here's this, the scene that it paints. So people would come to Jerusalem for a pilgrimage every year, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people come and go to this place that they, they expect to meet God. I mean, the, to come into the presence of something holy. They've been preparing for this journey, right? And um, maybe it's something they've always thought, you know, I'm going to do this. And so finally they get to Jerusalem, this really important center of all you know, public and political and religious life for these people. And they're going to go up to the temple, to that place, that holy place, and they have to walk up a bunch of stairs. So hundreds of thousands of people come, and they're ascending these stairs, and they go up, get to the top, and they are to turn to the right and walk counterclockwise around the plaza that surrounds the temple. So picture all these people, this wave of people, right? They're all walking, except for some people, who also are ascending the steps, but these are the people who are brokenhearted, it says. The people who are lonely, sad, they need help. They're supposed to also come up the stairs somehow. Maybe they had to be carried. They come up, and they're supposed to turn left and also walk around that circle, right? They're meeting this whole sea of people coming their way. They're going against the current, right? And when they meet someone, um, they stop. And the person coming this way says to them, what happened to you? What happened to you? And you tell them, my father died and I didn't get to say goodbye. My child is sick and I don't know what to do. I've got this pain and it will not go away. I've tried everything. And the person coming this way says, I see you. I I'm here. I'm with you. I hope it goes away. I hope you find some relief. May you be blessed by the Holy One. And then they keep walking. And then they come to the next person, and the same thing happens. So our modern minds, you know, I might go to the place of, well, how would that really work? I mean, hundreds of thousands of people and stopping. And, um, and that's where I have to remember, OK, wait, this is. This is the, the Hebrew mind, and this is about the cargo that this story, this vehicle carries, right? It carries truth in it for us. So to feel that truth, I want you to imagine yourself at the top of those stairs today, right now. And I wonder if you can imagine which way you would turn today. Would you be one of the ones Pretty just happy to be here, ready, ready to go, ready to help as needed. You've been looking forward to coming. 
you've got maybe some joys going on, some exciting things, um, and you're going to head around the plaza that way. Or are you maybe going to turn left? You've got some worries. You're feeling kind of empty today, kind of broken. Or maybe your anxiety's been really out of control lately. You don't know what to do about it. Or maybe um, there's some major uncertainty in your life. Maybe there's a, a broken relationship. Or maybe there's just this thing in your pit of your stomach and you know you need to look at it and ew, you'd just rather not. But if you're honest with yourself right now, you'd probably be turning left. And I'm going to ask you to actually make a choice. Often, as fabric, we don't do that. We say, oh, it's in the middle. There's not either ors. But in this moment, um, I want you to actually say which way would I go, right or left. And again, this is anonymous um, for this moment. So yeah, let's see where we're at. If you go right, you're feeling strong, going left, kind of struggling. I had no idea how this would turn out. But here we are, you guys. This is real. This is this moment today. We're about half and a half. Admitting this honesty that sometimes we need help or the people around us need help, it's vulnerable. We cannot get away from this word. But last week, um, Chris added a really important insight about vulnerability that I want to land on. He said that it's not vulnerability itself that opens us up to help. I mean, we do know this, right? Like, vulnerability just opens us up. There's no guarantee to what it's going to open us up to, right? So what, it is, what is it like to show up to that circle when you feel good and when you feel strong? And, you know, maybe the last thing you want to do is kind of become face-to-face with someone who's really having a bad day. You know, you kind of just, can I just be okay today? Like, what if that makes me feel like I should do something and I'm not sure I have time? Or, or what if that makes me feel like I can't really be happy because it might take somehow, like, dishonor their pain and I can't, like, be honest now, I can't be myself? It's kind of like if there's a child that you've loved and, and you've seen them sleeping and they're just so like easy in that moment and not, not a pain in your neck or not causing any ruckus. They're just beautiful little people and you love them and you're filled with gratitude for them and this sense that, oh my gosh, someday they're going to suffer. Someday they're, they're, their heart's going to be broken. Someday I could lose them. You know, like it's just this really vulnerable feeling to feel both joy and like, the potential of loss at the same time. So going to the right, it has its, um, it has its vulnerability. What about going to the left? Wow. It's, it's not only coming when you're struggling, but visibly showing it. Like, I am struggling. I am walking this way. I am not okay. What is that like to do? What bravery does that take? Especially if a lot of the times you're the helper, especially in the place you are going, whether it's at work or if it's here in this community, in your own family, and now suddenly you're the one who has to be helped, who needs something. That's tough. Man, that's like your whole identity. 
out there, belly exposed. So vulnerability has this way of opening us up to perspectives, to support, and to possibility that we just can't find any other way. And I sure wish we could. Um, but it also opens us up to great hurt and harm that we can't find other, any other way. So it's understandable that we kind of want to avoid it, right? That's human. So vulnerability is the starting point, and there's absolutely no guarantee that just showing up vulnerable is actually going to help you, or that someone else showing up to you in that way that you're actually going to be able to help them. And that's kind of tough news. But what lets help flow in these times is the way that we are held when we're vulnerable. We see each other and we see ourselves um, with different eyes. You know, it's not the eyes of judgment and comparison that Chris talked about last week. Those are the ways that help gets stifled and that we feel diminished and that's when that unhelpful kind of help starts, you know, happening. But instead we're seeing each other with compassion, different eyes, mercy, grace, those big, deep, you know, gutsy words that you maybe hear too much and they kind of lose their meaning. What are they really all about? Try this on for size. I believe this is true. The compassion is that place where love meets vulnerability and stays. That place, that moment when you're walking, wobbling maybe, brokenhearted towards someone else, and they, out of their stability and their strength that they muster in that moment, they look at you and, and they see you. And they love you and they stay with you long enough, curious enough to listen. And you stay long enough, open enough to tell them what you can, to share, to receive a blessing. Not just to be seen, but to receive a blessing, a word of trust and hope that you might find life, that you might find flourishing even in this struggle. Something happens to us when we're able to see and be seen this way as part of this, what, the sacred network of humanity and all that we're a part of together. We might call that the fabric, right? The fabric of all things that we're woven into, and it includes such big joy and amazing creativity and beauty and also such pain. So this all sounds so big, um, but it's also small. I love these words from Rabbi Browse. They're on your Sunday paper, too. It says, she says, showing up doesn't mean heroic gestures. It means training ourselves to approach, even when our instinct tells us to withdraw. Reach out in your strength or step forward in your vulnerability. Err on the side of presence. Reach out in your strength, step forward in your vulnerability. Err on the side of presence. 
that's the kind of help that never runs out because it also never runs away. It's present. Train yourself. Does that sound familiar? What do we say about practice around here? Practice when it's easy, right? So this is a place where we try to lower the stakes and be a training ground. As someone who helps, you know, is part of the staff and helps convene with all of you these gatherings on Sundays and supports groups and other ways that we are fabric, honestly, the particular things that happen when we're here this morning or at our group, they only matter because of the encounters that they allow us to have with each other. In fact, I would argue that this is really the only thing that matters about any spiritual community or community, but especially spiritual ones that, that are wanting to connect us with something bigger. The particular words, the practices um, that we develop together, they matter only in how they allow us to have these encounters. So one of our um, practices here that allow us to come and not carry these griefs and these joys alone is set up and tear down, right? So this is a school. There are lots of elementary kids who eat lunch here. If you look around right now, are there any crumbs on the floor below your chair, perhaps? <laughs> um, last week, it was a mess when we got here. And um, the setup crew had been here, and they were getting everything all transformed for us. And, um, and the carpet was just horrible. There were like dried yogurt crumbs, I think, and cracker crumbs all over, especially one of these middle tiers all across. And um, I know Garrett was looking for a vacuum cleaner, couldn't find one. So I see Garrett like up here with this tiny pathetic broom that he found. And he's like sweeping sweeping it all up. And I just thought, dang, that is a labor of love, right? <laughs> um, and we went and we had our you know, treats where we connect up with the, the kids' crews and the setup crew, and um, we were just talking, and I just said, why do we do this, you guys? Why do we all like pool our money and our energy and our time, and we come here and like plug things in and schlep stuff in and out from our cars, and why do we do this? And in that circle, I gotta tell you, we were humans. There were tears, there was laughter, and there was Garrett sharing something that I want you to hear right now. Melissa, you asked during our circle time last week, why do we do this? And that's actually a really good question, especially at those times when it'd be easy not to because we're tired or lacking motivation or just distracted by everything else we have going on in our lives. But for me, we do this not just because we get to do this, but it's because if we don't, our fabric community, uh, the connections we've made and continue to make with each other, support we give and receive, and the important conversations it allows us to engage in with ourselves and others cease to exist, which also means this all won't be here for the people who aren't here yet. And 
this fabric community existing is not something I think we should take for granted, especially during a time of transition, because as important as great leadership has been in making fabric what it is, and as important as great leadership will be going forward, without us, the community, showing up for each other and connecting with each other in all the ways that we do every week, fabric is nothing. So for me, that's why we do this. Hmm. When we do show up, fabric is something. It's something that we need. Gosh, I think about the grief that might be in this room right now. Um, the people that we've lost today marks the second year uh, anniversary of losing a dear community member, Anne. And there are others who walked up these steps to help, who received help in this very room, who aren't with us anymore. I think of Steve. I think of Kelly years ago helping us get started. Um, the most animated singer you could find for the, for the band leaders. And the people that you've lost that I haven't met. And all of the, those of us who were loved by those people, who loved those people, who have also had other griefs since then. And joys, too. Like, how do we hold all that together? All that. It's got to be because there's something bigger going on supporting us and holding us. When we climb up these steps with this expectation of something holy, to be in the presence of something big, it breaks these spells that we get into, these spells of fear and denial and avoidance, and it creates openings, breaking down those walls that we put up so that we can see ourselves and see each other again ready to be surprised at how the most mundane things like sweeping crumbs off the stairs can become sacred and holy. So what we do as a community, it matters because of those encounters. The chances we have to practice seeing and being seen with compassion in our strength and in our vulnerability, with love that was in the center, right, of our word cloud. So that takes showing up. It takes walking up the steps into that circle, sometimes turning left, sometimes turning right, but always toward one another, erring on the side of presence. And it occurs to me that showing up with both strength and vulnerability, it takes many forms around here. And actually, they're pretty darn well represented on these banners. I mean, we choose connection. We, we show up when maybe we'd rather stay home and do the New York Times puzzles. Um, but we know, you know, it's not just you. You are a giver and a receiver. You are a part of something. You get to be here. You get to contribute. You get to be helped. And I love how when we admit that we're a part of something bigger, that includes we can say no, and we can have limits, and we can be honest about that. And when I'm honest, no, I can't help this week, that opens up a chance for someone else. 
And it gives other people permission to be honest and say no when they need to say no. It's amazing how our limits become openings, how the ends of us become the beginning for someone else. So we choose connection, and we think big. We walk through impossible things together, not knowing, no, there are, we know there aren't guarantees, but we ask, what if? What might be? What could be? And our view becomes more expansive than it could be by ourselves. We get perspectives. We see other sides. We're enlarged. It can be kind of scary. It can be kind of exciting. But we remember that this matters. You know, people matter. People matter enough for me to take this tiny broom on those big steps. And it's going to make a difference to those people who come and sit in these seats. And how does that translate into your life this week? You know, what is that small thing that you're going to do because it matters? Because you're willing to think about what's possible if you show up. And we know that all comes with so much uncertainty. So we have to be brave. Right now, we're at a really interesting time as a community, a rich time. We've been a community one way for a long time. And we have, yes, changed along the way. But it's big to get a new leader. Ian's going to start next week. And that's a new beginning. And it has a lot of uncertainty for him, for his family, for us. And we're going to be brave. And we're going to do it together. We cannot underestimate when we you know, try, to, try hard to stay curious and open and brave how important it is to laugh and have fun and take ourselves less seriously. So we practice that too, right? And that's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to be silly and, you know, what, dance and tell jokes and um, play music and create and meander a little bit, um, not so be so productive all the time. So we desperately need to remember that joy is a part of this. Right When we are in the midst of showing up for hard things, it's because we love someone. We love something. We think something matters. And that thing that matters is probably also full of great joy and beauty and creativity. So may we help each other stop and look up and have some fun and relax, especially me. I need that. So thank you. And then finally, sharing warmth. You belong. And you can extend that welcome, that warmth to others beyond the people that we already know, beyond our preferences. We talk about the three-minute rule, making it talk to people that you don't know well, and it's kind of uncomfortable, right? But at the same time, when you've been received that way, it's not hard. It isn't hard to turn around and extend it back to someone else. And in fact, it's funny how when I open a door for someone here or anywhere, serve up hospitality and treat them well. It's funny what I learn about how to treat myself well. It's funny how in loving others, we learn to love ourselves even more. And when we love ourselves, we learn to love others. It's funny how that works, isn't it? What we've been freely given, we must freely give. Jesus said that, not as a rule, but because it's how it works. When we give something away is when we, get it, when we get it. We finally get it. So all of these core values, they work together. 
And they help us see. They help us stay open, our eyes and our hearts. And so that's why we practice them together. And the truth is, being on the inside of this um, for a while, if you've been around, it can start to be where your vision gets clouded. You forget how wonderful it was when you first came and how much you needed it. Um, And it can be, we can start to argue about like the wrong things or get distracted or, or lose our juice, right? Um, it's interesting to me how, like, the stories that, that Chris and I used around this conversation about help were, were all from this one section in the Gospels about Jesus' life. And so he told these parables that we shared. But on either side of these parables were these two scenes. Um, one of them was children coming up to Jesus, being brought to Jesus. And it says the disciples sternly told them to get out of there, <laughs> sternly, ordered them, go away, this is important, you, are, you aren't part of this. And then on the other end of these parables, there were the, the blind men, and they were along the side of the road, and when they heard Jesus was coming, they started yelling, help, help, over here, like, I need this, I have mercy on me. And the people in the front, so the people already there, ordered them sternly, <laughs> be quiet. But Jesus didn't. Jesus said, come, children, come, blind people. And who were the ones that got it? Who are the ones that we need to help us keep seeing? It's them, the ones that maybe feel a little loud and noisy or inconvenient or on the edges, on the margins. The ones maybe not here yet, and they remind us, oh yeah, this is what I get here. This is how I love myself. This is what compassion is like. Yeah. All right, so um, the last group that was included in that temple, the brokenhearted and the lonely and the sick, there was also the ostracized. And look up what that means. I mean, the people that were so unclean and had done things so badly that you weren't even supposed to talk to them. They, too, were invited up those stairs and to walk around and to actually be looked at and have people come near them again and say, tell me your story. What happened? That is a level of generosity that we will always be aspiring to, right? Like the people, those people, those parts of you that you'd rather ostracize, that, that, that are so bad and so broken, they are irredeemable. Yeah, no, that's, that shows up. That needs to be here. It can be here. Help never runs out. That's how it works. And man, I hope that is what we can keep offering one another and being together. Here, you, You out there who we haven't met yet, you who we miss, we hold it all together with these big open eyes and hearts of compassion. And we train ourselves. We're here, we see, we matter. Amen. Amen. 
So um, your communication cards, use them. Write a joy, write a struggle, let yourself be seen. And if not that, or if you want to add to that this week, tell somebody, tell somebody here today, what's going on? Like take a risk, err on the side of presence. In your group this week, you have chances to do that. If you don't know how to connect or would like some help, um, talk to the people here around you for sure to me. If you want to meet me at the weaving wall any week or someone else and tie a knot and mark something important, something sacred, something joyful, something vulnerable, we can do that too. Um, this is what we can be together. And let's keep practicing. Thank you. Thanks for listening. May this simply be the start of the conversation. Reach out if you want help connecting with a group virtually or in the Twin Cities and tag at FabricMPLS with your own thoughts on social media. You can also stay up to date and find other resources on our website, FabricMPLS.com.